0: Hello, and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 186. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and back from the darkest nether regions of Parts Unknown is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Mashad. Hakuna Matata, Chris. Howdy, Pete. We are back once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo, including some news, some game impressions, and of course, our big topic, which this week is 15 years of Nintendo DS. However, before we get to that, we will kick things off with some game impressions, starting with a major new release from earlier this month, Pokémon Sword and Shield. This is, of course, the next mainline entry in the Pokémon series, featuring an all-new environment known as the Galar region, loads of new Pokémon, and the most advanced technology of any mainline Pokémon game to date. If you'd listened to the people complaining about online before it came out, This is the death of the series, and it's 100% (laughs) terrible, but so far I am liking it, and I am finding it to be more or less what I would pretty much expect from a new mainline Pokemon game. Granted, I'm a fairly casual player when it comes to Pokemon, but Pete, you've been playing this series pretty much since the beginning. You are pretty hardcore when it comes to Pokemon, (laughs) so how does it live up to your veteran expectations?
1: Am I hardcore Pokemon? I guess. I guess in some ways, yes, that's right. Yeah, I actually, I'm really enjoying this game. I find myself kind of getting lost in it. And to me, that's kind of the best praise I can give a Pokemon game.
0: Getting lost in it? How so? Uh, You
1: know, you end up going into, you know, there's these new areas, the wild. And yeah, I end up uh, just like, you know, oh, what's that over there? Oh, that's something I don't have. Oh, that's a Pokemon <laughs> I've never seen before. Oh, wait, I fought this guy and I tried to catch him, but I can't even catch him because like he's too high level or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, there's just a lot of like little hooks that all of a sudden before you know it, you're playing it two hours longer than you thought you were going to.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm definitely enjoying the wild area as well. And I really like that fact that you can explore this place and have like full 3D camera control. You know, it's very different and cool and it really promotes the idea of exploration and gives you a lot of opportunities to catch Pokemon. And you know, in a sense, I almost wish the whole game was like that. I think it would really add this, you know, whole new element of freshness. It's like, oh, you know, going on the routes, you know, that's so been there, done that. <laughs> but you know, I guess there's no harm in having both. You know, you have the wild area and you have the routes for variety's sake. But you know, if you do stop to catch them all in the wild area, it can really, you know, just eat up, like you were saying, a lot of your time because there are so many opportunities to catch Pokemon. Like by the time I got to the first gym, I had like fifty Pokemon. And by the time I got to the third gym, I think I had more than a hundred. Yeah,
1: that's crazy. But totally I can see how that could happen because they really, you know, it makes it compelling. It's like especially you know, when you're walking around, obviously in this game, it's kind of new, the whole idea that, uh, I mean, I guess unless you're talking the you know, Let's Go Pikachu, Let's Go Eevee, you know, they kind of introduce the whole, you you see Pokemon when you're walking through the grass.
0: Yes, but, definitely. But
1: this one, yeah, I mean, the fact that you can just like see something, you're like, what is that? I've never seen it before. It's like, uh-huh. makes you like really want to go find out what it is and go catch it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was another thing that I do like about this game quite a bit is that you can indeed see most of the wild Pokemon. And, you know, a lot of them are still kind of hidden by tall grass. and You don't really right. know what you're going to get. It's going to be kind of a mystery when it shows up. But, you know, the other ones, like you said, you can see exactly what you're going to encounter. And that does seem like a really good compromise between traditional Pokemon formula and those recent Let's Go games. That was something people really liked about the Let's Go games. It was my favorite thing about the Let's Go games is that you could see all the encounters before they happened. And... And so, yeah, I'm really glad that made it into this game. I am totally there for it. And, you know, for all the complaints about there being fewer Pokemon in this game than in past games, it's like, oh my gosh, I have so many Pokemon in my party. There's so many Pokemon I can catch. <laughs> you know, it's almost overwhelming. Yeah. And There seems like a really good balance between the variety of characters, the new characters, the old characters, and just so many opportunities to build up your party. You know, I'm very impressed with all that content in the game.
1: Yeah, I mean... I think the biggest thing to me is this game really does sort of feel like a normal RPG. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that like every Pokemon game that I play, it's like, you know, the dialogue is very cheesy and like <laughs> you just, you know, it's it's so by the numbers. This one, even though there is some of that, it definitely mm. feels a little bit more like, I don't know, kind of reminds me of like a Persona or huh. some other game that exists that... I don't know. The past Pokemon games all kind of felt like they lived in their own universe. This one feels like it's trying to incorporate the last like 20 years of video game improvements. Hmm. If that makes sense.
0: Uh, It doesn't really make sense to me because I feel like it's still very much feels like the traditional Pokemon formula and it's just sort of you know doing that basic traditional storytelling okay here you go (laughs) go meet a professor here's your starter Pokemon go on a little quest you know get strong kid beat the eight gym leaders it feels pretty typical to me in most of those ways
1: it might be that it's just prettier to look at or just kind of like I don't know. It just kind of feels more like a RPG that I've played of other titles in the last 10 years.
0: Hmm. Okay. I
1: don't know. I feel like Pokemon has always felt kind of like its own thing. And mm-hmm. now I finally, I mean, especially, I think the wild helps too. It, the, the wild reminds yeah, me of, of some of these other RPGs, like I can't remember which Final Fantasy it was, maybe 12, where you started to be able to like move the camera and it was almost like an MMORPG in a way.
0: Yeah, you're probably thinking of 12, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I don't know. It just has that feeling of like, hey, they are trying to improve this. (laughs) It isn't just the same thing I've played for years and years with a new fresh coat of paint.
0: Well, you know, they are maybe updating it, you know, very, very incrementally, but they are updating it a little bit, that's for sure. Now, you mentioned something about, you know, maybe it's because it looks better than before. You know, how do you feel about the visuals and sounds of this game? You know, I think it does look pretty good. And sound pretty good, but, you know, maybe it's not quite the technological leap forward that it could have been. Uh, There's definitely some draw in, but I mean, that's the same for pretty much every video game out there. Uh, And I also kind of wish that there was voice acting in this game. Like, this is the first time I've played a Pokemon game and I've thought, oh, wow, there is no voice acting here. I was kind of (laughs) almost taken aback when they didn't start talking in some sort of goofy British accent. I felt like it really would have (laughs) upped the presentation. But what were your thoughts on the overall aesthetics and sounds of the game?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think if you are looking at this game compared to other games of this nature, it's not maybe quite on par with everything else. That being said... I guess Pokemon in a way does get a free pass because when you see the Pokemon in battle, you're like, sweet, that thing looks awesome. And <laughs> and it kind of fixes everything. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I guess the way to put it is I, there was no moment in the game where I was like, Oh, that looks bad or like, Oh, I'm sort of turned off by the way that looks.
0: Oh no. I totally agree with that.
1: You just, uh, it just, you're right. It's not as, as pretty as it probably could be. Um, the voice acting, you're you're dead on the money. I I like, I really I don't know why I expected it to be all in voiceover. I guess it's because that's the trend of almost everything now. But mm-hmm. this game feels like it totally could have used that, and it's really a letdown that it's not there. I can't remember the last game I played where I was so like let down by the lack huh. of voice acting. I mean, maybe Breath of the Wild, but even that they like added a ton, so you couldn't even be mad that there wasn't. You know, every single character had a voice. Right. That still had plenty of voices. Right. But this one, it just, because it's so dialogue driven, it's just like, uh, especially like in the beginning when you're like getting encountered by Hop every 30 seconds.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like once the game really started getting rolling, I was kind of just taken aback when they didn't start talking out loud. So I don't know if I'm missing it quite as much as you are, but yeah, it's definitely notable by its absence.
1: Yeah. I just think it would have added something to it.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, what about all of the you know British stuff in the game? You know the English aesthetic. Uh, how do you like that integration? I mean, I think it's you know different. It sets it apart from some of the past Pokemon games, but it isn't nearly to me as exciting and refreshing as the Hawaiian designs that came out of Pokemon Sun and Moon.
1: Yeah, it's definitely weird, and I think it's weird that, again, back to the voiceover, it's weird that they like chose to go. British with the copy and then not have voiceover. It's like, it's like, I don't think I've read so much like English slang before that I'm like, <laughs> what are they even saying? Like, I think in the very first like dialogue box, there was something that made me think it was a typo. <laughs>
0: it's
1: like, Hey, look at that flash new phone.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: And I seriously like looked on Twitter because I was like, is this like just the <laughs> a terrible mistake, but I guess that was like English dialogue.
0: Check out our fab new kit.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. It feels weird because there are just a lot of really subtle differences between English and, well, British English and American English. And the fact that it's only in text is bizarre. (laughs) To me, it makes for a hard read sometimes. I don't really feel like it adds all that much to it. I mean, Hmm. I get what they were going for, but I just personally don't think it like I don't know. I think, like you said, the Hawaiian of Sun and Moon definitely had more of an influence.
0: Now, how about Leon, the champion? (laughs) That's one of the first characters you meet. He is, like, super stereotypically British. In fact, ludicrously so. It's like, okay... Let's just take all of the stereotypes we can think of. Uh, <laughs> soccer? Yeah. Royalty? Yeah. Okay, let's turn him into some uh, foppish dandy with half soccer attire and a cape. It's just so ridiculous.
1: And a weird drawn-on split beard.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't really know what's going on with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Leon's a little odd. <laughs>
0: And I'm kind of disappointed that his Pokemon is just a Charizard instead of some sort of exciting new Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the weirdest part when it comes to, uh, you know, not having that many new Pokemon in the game as some people were hoping for.
1: Yeah, I never thought about that, but you're right. It's kind of weird that like, yeah, Charizard's one of the old school, like...
0: Yeah, it's a Gen 1.
1: Yeah, and he, and it's also the like notorious, like, you can do everything you want with a Charizard.
0: <laughs> well, I guess that's why he's the champion, huh?
1: <laughs> I guess so.
0: But yeah, I would have you know thought they would want to make the champion Pokemon be some sort of brand new character. It's like, oh, I really want to aspire to get that and have one of those on my team. Not like, oh, I've had this one for 20 years. Great.
1: Yeah, there's a couple things that still strike me as odd. Like one of them is that like, you know, you still encounter these random battles where the person doesn't even have a full party of Pokemon.
0: Yeah, that's true. And you're like,
1: why are you even trying to beat me if you haven't even caught <laughs> more than one Pokemon?
0: Well, I got one Pokemon, it's a level three bug. Come on, let's fight.
1: <laughs> it doesn't, that like, to me, that just, like, never made sense in the original game, and it still doesn't make sense. And... That's,
0: they've been doing it for 20 years, I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, that's fair. What about some of the other new features in the game? Have you been trying out the camping, and the curry, and the Dynamaxing?
1: <laughs> well, the camping, uh, I turned it on it for one moment, and I was like, yeah, I'm not ready to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it looked kind of funny. I was just like looking at a campground full of Pokemon doing things. And I... yeah, I'm
0: just like wiggling a feather at him or something or <laughs> throwing a ball. Yeah. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to be doing there. I feel like, you know, for all of the handholding that Pokemon often does, it feels very strange. They never really explain what you get out of the camping. And the same with the curry, like, you know, it's like throw in some berries and stuff like, okay, let's throw in some berries. Oh, You chose terrible berries, you get (laughs) crappy curry. It's like, are there supposed to be recipes or something? You know, I'm kind of wishing for the official Nintendo Player's Guide or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is weird. It's like in certain parts, you're so structured, and then in others, you're like, yeah, just figure it out.
0: I'm hoping to learn more about that. I did finally get to make some good curry that was shaped like Pikachu. Probably I cooked up a Pikachu and put him in my curry or something like that. But uh, you can't put Slowpoke in your
1: curry, apparently.
0: (laughs) Well, he will be easy to catch, I guess.
1: (laughs) To me, the camping part, I mean, I'm sure there are some benefits that are probably worth it. But to me, it feels like it's just sort of a gimmick thrown in for, you know, sort of like, I don't want to say children, but (laughs) it's kind of got that like Nintendogs feel or something.
0: Yeah, it certainly has some of that. I mean, but all that stuff, I think, again, was kind of better implemented in Sun and Moon. Right. You know, there were a lot of opportunities to play with the Pokemon, and you could, like, you know, scratch them and rub them and make them happy and stuff. And I'm like, am I supposed to do that? If I do that, will they obey my commands better in battle? Will it help them, you know, avoid attacks and stuff like it did in that game? And so far, I can't tell that it does. So it's like, yeah, I just really could use a little bit more explanation here.
1: Yeah, if only there was some power pros around. <laughs>
0: Now, as far as Dynamaxing goes, you know, I'm not sure that that is fully fleshed out either, you know? It could be cool, but by limiting it to only these very specific battles, I feel like it kind of, you know, sucks some of the fun out of this concept, you know? All I know is that if you see a giant Pokemon at one of these, you know, weird breaches coming out of the Earth, or if you encounter one in a gym battle, it's like, okay, I'd better have a giant Pokemon to fight off this other giant Pokemon, but... You know, I almost am not sure why they would include something like this when it is so darn limited.
1: Yeah, it does feel sort of half-baked. Like, yeah. it is cool to see this, like, giant Pokemon. And, like... Yep. <laughs> I mean, Especially it,
0: when you have a giant Corgi. Yeah, <laughs>
1: and it really does feel like sort of like a... I don't know, Godzilla meets Pokemon kind
0: of thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, literally, like, they, the one, especially when they're using these moves and they look like they're just, like, starting natural disasters.
0: Well, yeah, and every time you destroy one of the enemy Pokemon, it, like, goes up like a and mushroom cloud.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty insane. But, yeah, it, as far as the actual usefulness of it or, like, enjoyability, I don't know. So far, I, I have yet to see it be really, really fun. But, you know, I, I think the idea was cool, but it just feels like maybe it got like, I don't know, somehow kind of nerfed in development where <laughs> where they like were like, okay, well, we could do it. If it's online, we can do it where you always are playing with other people. But in reality, you know, the matches I've been in, I haven't joined with anyone else. It's just me and like three random NPCs.
0: Oh, have you done any of the uh, you know, online functionality? I've only done a little bit of it where I was having you know other people just run around on the you know, wild area with me. And it just went kind of crazy. Like People were sort of just teleporting all over the place. <laughs> it didn't really seem to have any benefit. I mean, maybe I got a special item or two, but it was pretty darn janky. After that, I, I think it actually just automatically turned off after a while. It's like, nope, janky maximum has been reached. You'll have to turn off your online for now. <laughs> Interesting thought, though
1: yeah no i did the uh random mystery link oh i think i did that twice like i literally just traded pokemon with like someone on the internet uh-huh yeah, it worked out well i think one time i got a Ponyta. oh okay which i hadn't seen yet and then another time i got man i can't remember the name but it was like a snake like a rock snake or a dirt snake
0: or something like that oh okay I think maybe I got one of those from a Dynamax battle.
1: It looked like a snake wearing a turtleneck or something.
0: <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of Pokemon, what should you end up going with with your starter?
1: Yeah, I decided to go with Sobble to start off.
0: Ah, okay. I went with Score Bunny myself. Always start with fire, personally.
1: Huh. that would make sense, the word nemesis. <laughs> That's right. Or nemeses. That is correct.
0: But uh, yeah, you know, going back to Dynamax, I hate to keep making this comparison over and over again to Sun and Moon, but. It's like, you know, that game, you, know, you would get these super moves, you'd get them, you know, sort of per, you know, elemental attribute per Pokemon, they could only use them once per battle. And that just seemed like a system that was really more balanced and better implemented than the Dynamaxing that is in Sword and Shield. So, again, you know, it's interesting that they're trying some new stuff, but again, it just doesn't feel quite as uh, groundbreaking or well-designed as the last big game in the series.
1: Yeah, you know, I am interested to see where Dynamaxing goes. It feels like a cool idea. But yeah, as you said, I think that they could put some more uh, interesting stuff into it in future versions of the game.
0: Yeah, it just feels, you know, sort of like you were saying, kind of nerfed, kind of limited, kind of feels like, you know, they could have indeed done something to make it better. Yeah. Anyway, any further thoughts you wanted to share about the game?
1: Yeah, I was going to say that uh, the type disadvantage, they definitely seem to do a little bit more with that. I've definitely seen a little bit more, you know, you have to kind of think about the fight you're going to go in versus old Pokemon. You just kind of pick one character and just use the most powerful move over and over. Mm -hmm. That won't seem to get you through this game the way it would in the past. But, you know, again, I'm kind of early on, so I'm not sure how true that is.
0: Okay, that's definitely something I will keep in mind. But yeah, for me, overall, I am quite enjoying the game, despite the fact that I keep making these comparisons to Sun and Moon, and I'm saying, (laughs) yeah, it's not as big of a leap forward as those games were. You know, I am still enjoying it quite a bit. You know, I don't want to be like, hey, all you lifelong fans, you don't know what you're talking about. It really is better than you think it is. But, you know, from my perspective, it's just a fun game, a good Pokemon game, and I'm having a blast with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me, I think the gripe was always about, you know, you've always been able to transfer your Pokemon from the originals Mm -hmm. all the way up till now. So I think there is this huge group that really would like to keep those Pokemon still in the universe. But this game kind of throws that on its nose.
0: Maybe an Ultra Sword and Ultra Shield. (laughs) Right.
1: Maybe they'll do something. That being said, this is a great game in its own right. I was never attached to, you know, I don't have any like 25-year-old Pokemon or anything (laughs) that I know of.
0: I've got Pokemon older than I am.
1: (laughs) I guess it would be like 20 years old. But yeah, anyways, I don't have any really, really old Pokemon, so I don't really feel any attachment to it that way. That being said, I really am enjoying this, and I think that anyone who's into the series and you are, you know, on the fence, but you keep hearing bad press, I would say that you should ignore that and at least give this game a try.
0: Yep, I think. I would completely agree with you, Pete. Oh, wow. Weird. (laughs) Believe it or not. (laughs) All right, then. Let us move along to another new release that I've been playing recently, also on Nintendo Switch. This one being Layton's Mystery Journey, Catriel and the Millionaire's Conspiracy Deluxe Edition. Wow, that was quite a mouthful.
1: Yeah, what was that?
0: (laughs) Well, that is the most recent game in the Professor Layton series. It was originally released on 3DS, and now it has come to Switch. It is easily my least favorite of all the Layton games.
1: (laughs) You're just a glutton for punishment (laughs) picking this one up, aren't you?
0: Well, I suppose you could say that, you know, but I had to give it a try. I do Generally enjoy that franchise, and you yeah, know this has all the same elements of puzzles and adventures and emphasis on story as the previous Layton games. But you know this time now you play as Catrielle Layton, evidently Professor Layton's adopted daughter. Mm. You, Unlike the past games, she's the main character and the story is episodic, so you solve these short individual mysteries in separate chapters, although there is a connecting thread resolved at the end that sort of ties everything together. And of course, as you do so, you encounter all kinds of puzzles involving shapes or colors or numbers or object placement or just logic puzzles, you name it. Plenty of puzzles in there. But the main issue I have with this one is the characters and story. The mysteries are either like so ridiculously asinine that you would never figure them out, <laughs> or they're so obvious that you can basically figure out what's going to happen the second the chapter begins. Hmm. And Cat is just kind of this insufferable know-it-all, which I guess you could say about <laughs> Professor Layton, but unlike <laughs> her dad, you know, she doesn't have this, uh, you know, experienced veteran demeanor and definitely lacks Professor Layton's polite and distinguished etiquette.
1: So she's just kind of a brat.
0: Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And then she's got this assistant named Ernest, and he's just dull as dirt. I call him Boris because he bores me to death. The only character (laughs) I kind of like is Cheryl, the talking dog, because at least he makes fun of all the other characters and the stuff they do.
1: (laughs) You have a lot in common with Cheryl.
0: (laughs) Anyway, despite all these complaints, you know, as a port, this game is actually quite good. You know, the. Original 3DS version was pretty much 100% touch-driven, touch-only, but this version has full-touch controls if you're playing it undocked, and then full standard controls if you're playing it either docked or undocked, you know, either mode. And they both feel perfectly natural. Uh, You could even do all the markup overlay note-taking stuff with traditional controls, which has never been done before. There's no more handwriting recognition, but you can use a keyboard whenever you're required to input something like that. And then there are also several new puzzles, like about two per chapter from what I've noticed so far. Oh, wow. And these just straight up replace puzzles from the 3DS version, as best I can tell. But it usually eliminates puzzles that were pretty much just like, you know, cheap tricks, more or less. There was one puzzle late in the game, in the 3DS version, that like had a completely wrong answer. I'm kind of curious to see if they have fixed... Or replaced that in this version but i guess we will see hmm. anyway the story and the characters make it kind of hard to recommend especially compared to any of the previous six latent <laughs> titles right. but the puzzles are great the interface is really excellent and if you are going to play this game the switch version is definitely the way to do it
1: oh cool and it is the only way to play latent on switch right
0: Yep, it is the only late-in-game release for the system so far. I'm kind of hoping they'll do a re-release of the original Professor Layton and the Curious Village, because I think they were working on that for iOS. I'm kind of thinking, well, a Switch version seems inevitable, but that has not been announced yet. So hopefully one of these days, though.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe in doing this, they built the engine that they may use to port the other one.
0: Yeah, that'd be great.
1: Any idea on the price on this one?
0: Yeah, this one is 40 bucks, so not exactly a discount price, but is more or less the same price that went for it, it was on the 3DS, so it uh, seems pretty reasonable to me.
1: Yeah, it's pretty reasonable, I think.
0: All right, then. Moving along to another first-party Switch game I have had a chance to play recently, this one being The Stretchers.
1: <laughs> this one kind of came out of left field.
0: It totally did. I get the feeling that Nintendo has kind of been sitting on this one for a while and then finally have just unleashed it into the world. But uh, either way, it is out there, is available to play and download right now. Pete, have you picked this one up and have you been playing it at all? I
1: have, and I've I've really only given it sort of, you know, a cursory run, but I really do enjoy it so far. That being said, I've only played it single player, which Uh I feel like this game is not really meant to be played single player.
0: No, it's really not. This is much like Snipperclips or something like that where you can play it single player, but multiplayer is really what it's all about. And uh, yeah, I do highly recommend you play it that way possibly with a big, cold glass of milk, if you know what I mean. But yeah, this is a ridiculous open-world action game. I mean, to me, I think of it as sort of like Grand Theft Auto through a Nintendo lens. (laughs) You know, instead of committing crimes, you're rescuing people. Of course, by rescuing, I mean like contouring them into horrible shapes and positions and tossing them into the ambulance and then driving around (laughs) like a maniac and crashing your car and driving off a cliff and who knows what. You know, you're just doing ridiculous stuff left and right. You're wearing stupid hats. Your characters have a stupid mustache. <laughs> there are buttons on the controller. I have no idea what they're for. That You can just like start singing. You can start singing <laughs> opera, or you can start clapping for no apparent reason. Like, Have you tried that out? Do you know what those are for?
1: I have not even tried that.
0: Well, they're in there. Give it a try the next time you play. But yeah, you can just (laughs) run around all day, like, clapping and grabbing things and driving off cliffs and smashing through walls and launching off ramps. You know, there is no death in this game, even if you crumple into a heap by falling off a roof or getting plowed into by a car, or, you know, you drive your ambulance into the middle of the ocean, you'll just respawn nearby, no worse for the wear. (laughs) You know, the NPCs are always dodging out of the way. They're always okay, too. And you know, then you can just go chop down some trees. You can throw some chickens in a coop. You can dodge thirty to fifty feral hogs. You can throw people <laughs> onto a stretcher or a conveyor belt to you know move them to the ambulance faster. And also, if you notice that like half the population of this city is like big fat sumos.
1: <laughs> uh, yes.
0: Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that. Yeah, you can't move those with a single player. So you know, if you want to move some sumos around you're gonna to have to coordinate and uh, you know try to move those people around you know, you'll inevitably get stuck trying to get down a path while maneuvering two characters simultaneously you know, you'll be attacked by evil moles while you're trying to do it or you know sprayed by a sprinkler and your character goes flying you're bashing the head with a crane so you know constantly there is goofy stuff and hilarity always ensues
1: yeah it definitely is just like a wacky game like in the same vein of like i don't know these games that come out of nowhere, like Katamari Damacy, or like,
0: <laughs> yeah, so um, I got a similar sense of humor to that.
1: Or, or even like Crazy Taxi, or you know, I, I heard don't know. Some people
0: say it's like Crazy Taxi, and I don't know. Maybe tonally it is, but there's so much more of the game than just you know driving around trying to get to the destination before the time limit expires. Right.
1: Yeah, I think just the frantic feeling, and then like you know all of a sudden like why is there a quarter pipe ramp <laughs> <laughs> just in the middle of a neighborhood? I have <laughs> no idea, right. but. Yes. I mean, in that sense, that it kind of feels like Crazy Taxi.
0: Yeah, I don't know why it's there either, but I'm sure glad it is. <laughs> yeah, you're just kind of just driving around this wacky island, rescuing the victims, engaging in side missions, exploring, looking for secrets. Apparently, despite the fact that you're paramedics, you're also cops and gardeners. And, you know, you're fighting bad guys, you're chopping down trees, you're planting flowers, you're mowing people's lawns. And also, you get to gain new abilities as you progress through the game, such as a nitro boost that lets you really launch off those ramps. If you haven't unlocked that yet, please look forward to it.
1: (laughs) I'm looking forward to it.
0: Also, the guy who gives you the nitro boost is a dude named Professor Doctor who wears nothing but his tool vest and his underwear.
1: Oh, yeah. I think I've
0: seen him. Yeah, I believe he does show up right at the beginning, although I don't think you quite get a sense of his nudity at that point. (laughs) But yeah, anyway, this game is just totally goofy. Like you were saying, it is all about the co-op. You know, if you don't play in co-op, it really is like, you know, trying to play two characters with like, you know, two brains. Like, how do you control these guys simultaneously? It is quite a challenge. It will give you quite a headache trying to coordinate them, I think. Yeah. So it really is made... For two-person play. And it's just so entertaining. It's so much more user-friendly that way. The friend that I played it with said the game should just be called Two Idiots because that's really what it was when we <laughs> played. Just two guys running around singing and clapping and being as stupid and goofy as possible for kind of no reason. You know, I am planning for some holiday get-together time with friends and family, and I definitely want the stretchers to be part of that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, this game has the, you know, it's first off, it's $20 on the eShop. Yep, that's right. And then if you just pick this up, this is going to be the game that, you know, everybody's had a little too much eggnog. You pull out and uh, play with your Uncle Larry. This is that game. So I can imagine everybody picking this up. And uh, Nintendo was smart to release it right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just do kind of wish it had online, because I think it would be hilarious to try to play this with my nemesis from a couple states away.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would like to play this with you sometime, so I don't know how we're going to make that happen, but we'll have to. <laughs>
0: we'll figure something out. Yep. Yeah. For sure. That's all the new game releases I've been playing, but of course, I have picked up some other new Nintendo products recently, those being, naturally, the new Amiibo. Amiibo! Amiibo! <laughs> How did I know? Because I always get the new Amiibo, Pete.
1: <laughs> it's true. It's true.
0: Yeah. So I got this trio of new Smash Brothers Amiibo, Incineroar, Chrom, and Simon Belmont. And you know, talking about Incineroar first, the one thing that I really like about this Amiibo is that it is way more detailed than other Pokemon Amiibo. You know, most Pokemon Amiibo are good, but they are kind of simple. You know, there's nothing too fancy with the colors or the details. But Incineroar, you know, the fur texture on the whole figure is just covered in detail from head to tail. Then on top of that, it has this shiny, semi-translucent flame belt that looks really outstanding. The face is great. The pose is great. All the tufts of fur on the face look excellent. It is definitely a keeper and my favorite Pokemon amiibo to date.
1: Yeah, he's cool looking.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: The only thing better, they could have put a little turnbuckle in there. <laughs>
0: Yep, yep, that would have been rad. <laughs> Maybe next time. Uh, then we have Crom, who is probably the least impressive of this trio. You know, I kept kind of forgetting he was even coming out, because this is the second Crom amiibo to exist, so it's less exciting than the other two. And the pose isn't terribly dynamic. However, it still has tons of detail in the uniform and everywhere else. You know, all the straps and buckles and fine gold detailing look great, the face looks amazing. I mean, you compare this to the original Fire Emblem Amiibo that came out five years ago, Marth, and it's like, you know, complete night and day. But Yeah,
1: I really like his tattered cape.
0: Yeah, that is the most impressive thing. Absolutely is the cape. It's big and bold and flowing. And like, I hardly even realized he had it until I actually saw this thing in my hand. I'm like, oh my gosh. This cape just has this really amazing feeling of motion. Uh, The shape is really cool. And like you saw, all those tatters on the end, the subtle shading gradient on it. It's just all really, really impressive. I mean, basically, it is an awesome cape amiibo with uh, Crom attached to it. I just
1: want to say, Crom.
0: By (laughs) Crom. But speaking of barbarians, yes, by far my most wanted amiibo from this group, as far as characters go, was indeed Simon Belmont, you know, this is one that from the very beginning, when Amiibo were first announced, I was like, oh man, it would be so amazing to have this as an Amiibo, <laughs> but I never dreamed it would really be possible, you know, five years ago. But it is here, and it yeah, is no. glorious, with tons of detail in you know pretty much everything. The armor, the boots, the belt, the headband, and obviously he has a really powerful, muscular-looking pose. That's maybe even more dynamic with that twisting chain whip there. I mean, obviously they had to cheat a little bit, by attaching the end of the whip to Simon's wrist so it would be able to sort of hang in place properly. But it doesn't look bad, and it certainly is the best solution to having a free-flowing whip. Uh, They also had to attach some semi-translucent parts to Simon's ankles because his pose is so broad and doesn't really fit on the stand. But luckily they are not too obtrusive.
1: Yeah, this Amiibo, honestly, to me, it's like one of those ones that people who don't like Amiibos might end up buying this because it's cool. And you never thought there'd be a Simon Belmont version.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, there is one interesting thing to note about him. And that is, you know, I never really noticed this in the game in Smash Brothers, but it's all the purple on Simon's armor and his shorts. Like, in the game, it's not really noticeable because it blends in with his brown armor so well. But, you know, there are these parts that are a burgundy color. Even going back to, like, the classic Castlevania art, part of his armor did have this more reddish coloring. But on this amiibo, depending on the lighting, it can look really, really purple. Like, in medium to dim lighting, it looks fine. But under bright lights, it can look, like, lilac colored rather than burgundy. (laughs) So it's not wrong or bad or anything, but the first time I saw it in a store it like really jumped at me like, oh my gosh, Simon is violet. (laughs) So, you know, add it all up, there are like a lot of ways this figure could have gone wrong, but somehow they managed to avoid all those pitfalls and end up making essentially the definitive look for one of gaming's most legendary characters, and so I love it. I highly recommend all three of these amiibo.
1: Wow, you're almost close to picking up all of the Captain N party, huh?
0: <laughs> well, you know, I think I do have all of them that have been released so far. Until they get around to uh, Captain N himself or Princess Lana, I think I do have the entire crew more or less.
1: <laughs> and maybe a King Hippo, perhaps?
0: Oh, uh, well, on the bad guy side, there are a few more, yeah. King Hippo, Eggplant Wizard, uh, Mother Brain, we're still waiting on those, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'll talk to Nintendo see what we can do. All right. And that takes care of our impressions for this week. Let us move along to some news. So first up in the news this week, Nintendo has announced that Snack World, the Dungeon Crawl Gold, is coming to Switch on February 14th in North America.
1: (laughs) I never thought I'd ever hear those words in that order. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, you know, I wasn't really sure I would either, because this is a series from Level 5 that launched in Japan a few years ago. There was a 3DS game. There was also a cartoon and a manga. And then there was a Switch game that hit sometime last year. And it kind of seemed like, you know, none of that stuff was ever going to come to North America. But, lo and behold, that Switch game is getting a translation to North America, and we will finally get a taste of of what the series is all about.
1: Yes, that's right. The Switch is now popular enough that like every single game that will come out every, anywhere will come out everywhere.
0: <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Now, judging from the trailer though, I still have pretty much no idea what the series is about. <laughs> it looks like 100% insanity. Like, as far as I can tell, it's maybe some sort of dance off between all these quirky, claymation-style characters just acting goofy and spinning around. There's like a Medusa in here and a bunch of other mythological monsters. It's definitely unique and bizarre and emphasizes this, you know, quirky, trademark, level five character aesthetic. It reminds me just a little bit of Earthbound.
1: Yeah, I can see that a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's uh, some weird and wild stuff, you know. However, if you actually read Nintendo's description of the game in the press release, you find out it's a roguelike game with procedurally generated dungeons and four-player co-op, plus lots of food puns and slapstick humor. You know, despite the title, the world doesn't really seem to be food themed, but the game does feature characters like the evil Sultan Vinegar and a quest in the land of <laughs> Tooty Fruity, among other things. You also do use snacks to summon allies in battle. So yeah, it sounds very weird. It looks very weird. It just seems weird enough that I do indeed want to try it, even though terms like roguelike and procedurally generated and dungeon crawl are three of my biggest gaming turnoffs.
1: Yeah, to me, it just kind of feels like a, you know, like a Diablo Jr. kind of thing, which isn't a bad thing. I think, you know, it does make me actually sort of interested to try it.
0: Well, I would certainly like to uh, give it a spin myself when it comes out in a couple months. It'll be available both physically and digitally at the price of $50.
1: You can buy a lot of Funyuns with that much money.
0: Indeed. Also on the way in February from Capcom is Devil May Cry 3 Special Edition, which hits the Switch on February 20th. Yeah, I mean, I guess we all knew this was coming after Devil May Cry 1 and then 2 arrived on Switch. I guess the big question is, will they go to 4 being on more modern hardware after this? But yeah, you know, I've never really played Devil May Cry 3 due to the fact that it has this reputation of being insanely difficult, but uh, nonetheless, I'm very glad to see it coming to Switch, and I've heard it is great if you can get past that difficulty curve. Pete, is this one you've ever played? Is it one you're looking forward to playing on Switch, perhaps?
1: You know, it definitely has my interest peaked. I've heard that, you know, if you're going to play one, this one is probably the one to play.
0: Hmm, okay.
1: I heard that the first one is not the one you want to play. So yes, three has my interest. I guess I've heard it's a good series. I would like to give it a shot at some point.
0: All right. Well, you only have a couple months to wait.
1: Now, have you heard that, of course, Capcom realizing that now the games are all available, that in Japan they decided to release a physical triple pack However, only the original game is on a game card, and the other two are download codes, which make people cry.
0: Huh. I did not realize that, but uh, yes, as a fan of physical games, I would certainly make me cry as well. (laughs) I figured. Now, much sooner than that, however, we finally, finally, finally have an exact release date for all of the Shovel Knight goodness.
1: Oh, yes! tell me more, tell me more.
0: Yacht Club Games has finally confirmed that Shovel Knight King of Cards and Shovel Knight Showdown, along with the physical release of Shovel Knight Treasure Trove for Switch, are finally coming on December 10th. Before they had said December, but they weren't sure when, but we finally have a date now of the 10th. Only a couple weeks off.
1: Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I think even crazier than the fact that all they keep releasing is Shovel Knight games. (laughs)
0: Well, this is it. This is the end of the road. They are uh, finally bringing that to a close. This will be the last of the DLC and additional modes and all that good stuff. I mean, it has been a great and wild ride, but yes. It finally reaches its culmination on December 10th. In addition to the games, there's the Amiibo 3-pack of Plague Knight, Specter Knight, and King Knight, as well as the gold Shovel Knight Amiibo that comes out on the same day. I've been waiting for all this stuff for years. It'll be fantastic to finally have them in hand, and I'm going to be glad to finally have a physical version of Shovel Knight on the Switch.
1: Yeah, it is sweet. And, uh, you know, hats off to Yacht Club Games. Shovel Knight is a great game, great series. Yeah, for sure. Everything they've done so far has been just amazing. But I am excited to kind of see what they may have in store next.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, whether it's Shovel Knight or not, I'm certainly going to be looking forward to it. So one more bit of news I want to discuss with you, Pete. Did you get to check out the new and improved trailer for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie?
1: (laughs) I did indeed.
0: And what do you think?
1: You know, it's weird. It actually does make a difference. It kind of increased my intent to
0: watch. Yeah, I mean, I really can't believe how much better it looks.
1: Yeah, they really did a, a great job. And um, I watched kind of like a side-by-side video where it talks about all the things that they did differently. And mm-hmm. there is quite a bit. It wasn't just the eyes. They actually went back and... Kind of redid his whole character.
0: Oh, no, it's not the eyes at all. I mean, for me, the most terrifying thing about the old version was the body proportions. (laughs) Like, it just looked like some dude in a suit, you know? But this is about as good as I can imagine a CG live-action Sonic looking. And I feel like this puts it right up there with the character designs of Detective Pikachu as far as trying to stay close to the source material like before, everything was so far off. The face was so bad. It was basically nightmare fuel. <laughs> and it's like, man, with all that stuff, they changed with the proportions changing. Like, how does the new character even work with the existing footage? Would it even be possible? But I don't know. It looks like they are pulling it off. And ultimately, you know, I don't care. Just as long as it actually you know looks good and turns out good and no longer looks like an insult to the franchise.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it also didn't hurt that they uh, released a new trailer that was probably the best trailer they've released so far. It definitely just kind of captured a little bit more of that sonic energy. And yeah, like I said, it definitely moved the meter on, did I want to see this movie when it comes out? And I have to say, yeah, I, I think I might want to now.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued. Also, you know, I love the fact that the bad guy is actually calling himself Dr. Robotnik and not Dr. Eggman.
1: Yeah, amen, brother.
0: (laughs) Anyway, the movie finally hits on February 14th, so yeah, uh, you can look forward to this Valentine's Day. I'm going to take my lady out to see Sock the Hedgehog and uh, then give her a copy of Snack World, and uh, then she's going to dump me. It's going to be great. I can't wait.
1: Uh, I believe that actually would happen, yes.
0: (laughs) Please look forward to it.
1: Now, Hoff, I have one piece of information that's just breaking.
0: Okay, let me try to fix it.
1: (laughs) Now, it's not all that exciting, but Ubisoft went and took two of their popular games, Mario Plus Rabbits Kingdom Battle and Starlink Battle for Atlas.
0: Ah, featuring Star Fox.
1: Indeed. And they went and put them together in a bundle that you can pick up at Walmart, apparently.
0: Okay, and is this a... uh special uh, bargain price bundle.
1: Yes, the bundle is 29.99.
0: Oh wow, that'd be worth it for just one of those games.
1: Yeah, so these are both fantastic games, both absolutely worth playing, especially the Starlink, uh Star Fox component. But then not only that, Mario Rabbids, you know, I haven't played that in a while, but I will say that I really enjoyed my time with it. And I know they've put out even more like DLC for that.
0: Right. The Donkey Kong stuff.
1: Yeah, that is probably pretty good, too. I haven't played it. But anyway, it just seems like if you haven't purchased either of those games, you should jump on this deal.
0: Yeah, not a bad deal at all. Good to know. Thanks, Pete. Mm hmm. And that takes care of our news for this week. Why don't we move along to some letters? So not long ago, we went on Twitter and we asked for some listener feedback on new releases, such as Pokemon Sword and Shield and Luigi's Mansion 3. Here are a few of the responses we got. From at Brawlio underscore Ortiz... He says, Pokemon is pretty fun. It's annoying how often story segments occur. I feel they're more frequent than sun and moon. The wild area is a nice change of pace, though.
1: Yeah, I kind of agree with everything there. This is one from at Sheodare, and they write, Digging Pokemon so far, though this is the first time the lack of voice dialogue is really noticeable for me.
0: (laughs) Ha, yep, we are on the same page there. Mm Mm-hmm. Then we have this one from at BimmyG, who writes, Haven't played a new Pokemon game since Diamond Pearl. And uh, ergo, so far anyway, Sword Shield might be my game of the year.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I can see it. And then we have one from at Kellis1978. They write, Finished Luigi's Mansion 3 a few days ago. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Pokemon Sword is very good so far as well.
0: Then from at Lawn Dragon underscore UK. He says, Luigi's Mansion is just what I needed. Puts a smile on my face just for the sheer invention throughout each level.
1: <laughs> then we got at sphil64, and he writes, As Hoff said, Luigi's Mansion 3 is charming, and I love E. run animation. I do feel like the game gets a little padded at the end, though. I think Pokemon is amazing. I'm really impressed with how it looks and plays overall. My girlfriend doesn't game much, and she's impressed.
0: Yeah, I haven't quite reached the end of Luigi's Mansion 3, but I'll uh, have to keep an eye out for that uh, padding. I guess we'll see. Yeah. And then we have one more from at Smeargoldial, who writes, I'm probably going to skip out on these Pokemon games. Too much about them disappoints me, and get had enough. Luigi's Mansion 3 is great, though. So much attention to detail, and the comfy is on point. The more I play as Guiji, the more I want to eat gummies of him.
1: <laughs> okay, that's weird, but uh, <laughs> if your name is at Smirgledial, uh you're a Pokemon fan, and you should probably play these games.
0: <laughs> it's a good point, I suppose. We also got a couple of listener emails. This one comes from listener William, who writes, Hey pros, I'm a bit late on these two topics, but I wanted to give my thoughts. It makes sense there are so many Wii U ports coming to Switch, since not many people had a Wii U. Porting is a good way to get great games recognized, as well as help people who didn't get a chance to play them the first time. This reminds me of the Wii Virtual Console, which was important in the same way. As someone in my 20s, my first home console was the Wii, which I got in my teens. Because of this, I never got a chance to play the classic SNES and N64 games in the vein of Zelda and Metroid, though most Mario games had GBA ports. Because of this, the Virtual Console was especially great in that I could play all those classic games I missed. As someone who doesn't really like emulation, the Virtual Console was essential. Thinking of it that way, it makes all of the current ports seem not so bad. Though it does make me sad we don't currently have Virtual Console for all the games people might have missed before this decade. Have a good one. Your podcast is always the highlight of my week.
1: Ah, thanks, listener William.
0: (laughs) Yes, thanks indeed. And, you know, I tend to agree. Virtual console is great. I wish it were still around. But Nintendo has kind of decided to do something different this generation, you know. It seems weird to me that they would throw out such a strong brand. But, you know, they're doing the Nintendo Switch Online thing this time and allowing every third-party company to release classics as they say fit. I mean, I guess it's fine. We're finally getting a Contra re-release, and we got stuff I never would have imagined, like The Lion King and Aladdin. So, you know, how bad can the current system be? In the long run, I think tying classics to a subscription instead of letting us just buy them seems kind of bad, but I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get to it.
1: Yeah, all I know is every time they try to sell me Super Metroid on every console, I'm just (laughs) going to buy it, so.
0: Indeed, indeed. (laughs) And then we have one more message from our good friend Brian Booth who was commenting on the Final Fantasy VI episode, he says, Cool episode, guys. I always enjoy when you talk about your memories of games, and I can't think of a game more intrinsically tied to the Power Pros and their epic rivalry. (laughs) You got me thinking, how would you, the pros, rank the following five games, arguably the most well-known and perhaps best-loved RPGs on the Super NES? I'm asking specifically by your order of personal preference, Nostalgia. Although if you'd like to try to rank them objectively, that might be interesting too. I'll present them in order from the one that is most meaningful to my personal experience. 1. Earthbound. 2. Super Mario RPG. 3. Chrono Trigger. 4. Final Fantasy VI. 5. Secret of Mana. This letter has gone a little long, so I won't editorialize my picks, other than to say that this is my personal list and not an objective ranking. Uh, Pete, how would you rank these titles?
1: Oh, you're making me go first?
0: (laughs) Well, I can go first if you want. For me, I mean, it's really hard to go with number one, because for me, it's very, very close between Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI. It's almost a tie. You know, I could wake up any day of the week and I might choose one over the other. I don't know. Today, I'm going to say number one is Chrono Trigger and number two is Final Fantasy VI. But, you know, ask me again tomorrow. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, Number three is Earthbound. Uh, Number four is Super Mario RPG. I mean, I find Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI to be, like, infinitely replayable. I have played those games over and over and over again. (laughs) But both Earthbound and Super Mario RPG, as much as I like them, after I beat them once, it was, like, years and years before I felt compelled to go back and play through them again. Yeah, I can see that. It was just, you know... Hard to to dig back through those games because of all that they encompass, um, and then certainly the fifth one would be Secret of Mana. You know, I don't even consider that one to be an RPG since it's more like you know Zelda or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, even if I did count as an RPG, it would still be last. I've never actually finished that one, unlike the rest of the titles in this list. Although I do still enjoy that game as well.
1: Well, if I was being honest, I haven't finished a lot of these games, and I know that's a little bit uh, telling. Uh Yeah, I don't know. I get like probably three quarters of the way in, and then I don't finish it. So for me, the number one would be Final Fantasy VI.
0: Mm -hmm. Because you erased my game?
1: Yes, because I erased your game. No, I just think that in my mind, that had the biggest impact of me of this list. And I had a Yeti. Number two would be possibly Earthbound, I think. Okay. Again, it just like, I remember seeing that box for the first time being like, What? <laughs> and uh just how weird it is and all that. I think number three would be Super Mario RPG. Hmm. Just because it was Square Enix working with Mario for the first time or working with Nintendo, like actual Nintendo character. In a way it kind of reminds me of like Kingdom Hearts before Kingdom Hearts. <laughs>
0: yep. In a way.
1: And the next one, number four, would be Chrono Trigger because it is a fantastic game, but I don't know. It didn't hit me the way it hit other people. I think maybe because I played it a little later than everyone else. <laughs> and then number five, uh, Secret of Mana. Last but not least, um, I remember playing that game a lot with a friend where, you know, if you had another controller, you could control multiple characters on the screen.
0: Yeah, multiplayer was always a great aspect of that title. Totally. All right. Well, Thanks again for writing in, everybody. I hope that answered everyone's questions. I guess it's time for us to close up the mailbag and move along. And by that, I mean it is probably time for us to take an um, intermission, and then we come back. Hold up there. Back. Time out. Yes. Pete, is there a problem? Are there more letters to answer or something? Uh, nope. There's actually one more thing. Oh? Pumpkin pie recipe?
1: And that's time to hassle the huff.
0: Ah. Okay. Boy, it's been so long since you've been on the show, I kind of forgot about that, but... uh, (laughs) Okay, I'll uh, let it happen. Uh, What do you got for me this week, Pete?
1: Dear video game professor Hoffman. Yes? If you could go back in time 15 years and tell younger Hoff something about video games that he wouldn't believe, what would it be?
0: Huh, that's a weird question. (laughs) But I suppose the answer is kind of obvious, I would probably have to go back and tell fledgling Hoffmander to beware because the end is coming. Fifteen years ago who would have expected that not only would Nintendo Power shut its doors in the year 2012 but basically every other video game magazine would be out of business as well.
1: Wow. Yeah. You forget that that happened back then but it did.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I was saying earlier, you know, I kind of miss the days when all these games had, you know, like official Nintendo players guides, you know, I could have gone and looked at the official Sword and Shield guide and found, oh, well, here's what I need to know to complete my curry decks and do all stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, these days, you know, that stuff doesn't exist. You know, I never thought that the you know, Nintendo power of all publications would, uh, you know, have the doors closed on it, yet... Uh, Here we are, all these years later. You know, you can go into a Barnes & Noble, you know, the magazine selection is not what it used to be. You can still find, you know, crazy stuff like, you know, UFO Hunter Magazine, but (laughs) you try to find a Nintendo Magazine? Yeah, you can't do it. I don't know what's going on.
1: That's because they don't pay the UFO Hunter Magazine staff.
0: (laughs) Well, that could definitely be the case <laughs> so yeah that is the one thing that i miss most from what gaming was like 15 years ago and uh, you know the one thing i would warn my past self to be prepared for is uh things are going to be a changing and be prepared to get your gaming media elsewhere such as from the fabulous podcast power props
1: <laughs> wow that was a touching hassle to hop
0: yeah uh, okay well If you say so, Pete.
1: (laughs) I felt my whiskers tingling.
0: (laughs) That might just be mucus. (laughs) All right. If that answers your question, then, I think it is time for us to take an intermission. And then when we come back, we'll discuss this week's big topic, which is the 15th anniversary of Nintendo DS. Alright, we are back and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is the 15th anniversary of the Nintendo DS. Yes, it has now been 15 years already since the Nintendo DS launched worldwide and eventually became one of Nintendo's most successful systems. Admittedly, the Nintendo DS was kind of off to a rocky start at first, you know? It seemed to me, Pete, like a lot of the developers... Weren't sure what to do with the system with two screens and a touch screen and a microphone. Like even Nintendo didn't really seem to know for sure. But, you know, soon enough, the ideas just came bubbling to the surface, right?
1: Yeah, it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, we didn't ask for this, but <laughs> totally. I guess we're going to just use it and see what we can do. And uh, yeah, a lot of developers just took it and ran.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was very confusing at first, but yeah, the result was so much originality. We got all kinds of new innovative games, new innovative ideas, you know, not just the same old stuff from before, not just the same old franchises. And, you know, we're going to be celebrating this with a list of our top 25 games for the system, but what you're going to see on that list is that... In large part, it wasn't just the same familiar franchises from the past. It wasn't just, you know, the same old gameplay ideas updated for new hardware. These were ideas that were generated through the possibilities of Nintendo DS that you couldn't have done before. You know, you're sliding or poking or blowing or scratching or dragging, you know, once the developers realized all of the cool things they could do with the Nintendo DS, it was like there were no restrictions, no limits, and gamers got treated to one of the most creative game systems ever devised.
1: Yeah, it was like, you know, even stuff that you thought like didn't need to be there, like a mini map always showing on your screen or Mm -hmm. being able to manage your inventory on the fly, that stuff just became really welcome additions to a lot of games.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like things like that were just kind of scratching the surface. And it was the developers that even went above and beyond that that were able to really make the system sing. So, you know, with that in mind, we are going to jump into our top 25 games for the Nintendo DS. Starting with number 25, Nintendogs. (laughs) You know, it's hard to have a list like this without having dogs on it, you know, kind of flying in the face of all logic. Nintendo made a puppy simulator that let you play with your virtual dog and talk to your dog and wash your dog and, you know, take your dog on walks. And people just went nuts for, it. you know, say what you will about the gameplay. But it was another Nintendo innovation that basically revolutionized what gaming could be all about.
1: Yeah, I mean. Tamagotchis and all that was always a thing, but Nintendogs took it to another level and uh, you're still seeing sort of the remnants of that in games today, like the latest Pokemon.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm still waiting for naked Mole Rats myself, but, uh, you know, I'll take what I can get.
1: All right. At number 24, we have Mega Man ZX.
0: Yes, this was an action-packed follow-up to the Mega Man Zero series. Basically, it took the Mega Man Zero formula added some more traditional Mega Man elements that let you change into new elemental forms with new abilities. It also provided a non-linear Metroid-style world to explore, and it also let you play as a Mega Woman instead of a Mega Man. (laughs) And all add up to just a great, beautiful, excellent-to-control action game experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Next, at number 23, we have the puzzle game Meteos.
1: Yeah, so this puzzle game kind of came out of left field onto the DS and, you know, from the developers of Luminous on the PSP just a year before, it was shocking that they were making a, basically a touchscreen puzzle game for the Nintendo DS exclusively.
0: Yeah, it was a pretty fun game it kind of, you know, reversed some of the concepts instead of illuminating lines by lining them up, you were trying to like launch them off into space. But yeah, it was a really fun, compelling and exciting concept It, it was really, really cool.
1: Yeah, the gameplay mechanic was really fun.
0: Indeed. Next up, at number 22, we've got Shantae Risky's Revenge. This game was the long-awaited return of Shantae, and really the one that put the series back on the map and really allowed it to hit its stride. I mean, sure, the Game Boy Color Shantae game was great, but... You know, a lot of people didn't play it. It came out at a really awkward time. This one looked infinitely better. It played smoother while retaining all of Shantae's signature gameplay of bashing enemies with her ponytail and belly dancing to transform into different animals that would literally explore the game world. You know, there are very few DSiWare games that were any good at all. So to have one that isn't just good, but great and one of the best games on the system says a whole lot, I think.
1: Yeah, the Shantae games have always been worthwhile. Yeah, totally. Number 21, Feel the Magic. XY, XX.
0: Ooh, I feel it. <laughs>
1: So this one also, super bizarre game, made by Sega, yep. of all companies, essentially was a bunch of touch-based minigames that involved these random characters that were basically silhouettes. A lot of them set to really bizarre music, a lot of them set with really bizarre scenarios, but definitely left an impression and a style that you just don't see in a lot of games.
0: Yeah, totally. And this was one of the launch titles for the system. I feel like while a lot of developers were still trying to figure out what the system was all about, Sega kind of had a really good early idea of uh, the sort of creative and crazy things they could do with it. I think it really paid off with this title.
1: Yeah, it's weird how a launch game still became like, you know, one of the weirdest games on the system.
0: (laughs) Well, it's hard to out-weird Sega sometimes.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Next, at number 20, we have Radiant Historia. This is a time-traveling RPG that was sort of a more sophisticated take on some of the ideas in Chrono Trigger. You could jump back and forth between parallel timelines, and by using skills or knowledge you learned in one timeline, you'd be able to proceed through the other timeline. And so basically, you know, the whole time you're meeting interesting characters and getting caught up in a plot about this continent at war, and just also you know, playing through You know, very compelling, traditional turn-based RPG play mechanics, along with a really cool system of, you know, knocking all your opponents into each other and hitting them for massive combo damage.
1: Yeah, all in all, it adds up to a great RPG.
0: And then next, at 19, we have The World Ends With You, speaking of very compelling RPGs. This was actually more of an action RPG from the folks at Square Enix, but it was a mind-blowing one. Like, when I think of two screens and how the DS managed to use them to make really cool games. This is the game I think of, because that's what it was all about. You know, you controlled one character on the bottom screen with touch controls and another character with traditional controls on the upper screen. And you sort of use them in sync to beat up all the bad guys in these action RPG encounters. So you take that, you throw in a unique contemporary setting, you know, very stylish visuals and music. You know, this whole mysterious story and mysterious characters, the emphasis on these pins for various attacks. And you get one of the most unique games on the system. And I still think that the DS version is way better than the Switch port.
1: Yeah, agreed. And it was, it was cool to see, you know, companies take a lot of uh, random risks with the Nintendo DS.
0: <laughs> yeah, they really did. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Coming in at number 18, we have Brain Age. Train your brain in minutes a day.
1: Yeah, Brain Age It's such a weird game, such a weird concept. When Nintendo first announced it, it was sort of uh, Mr. Iwata just sort of announcing that it was a thing in front of a crowd. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, everyone had a copy of the game. <laughs> and it just kind of took off.
0: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, you might even not consider it to be a game. But nonetheless, this was the title that suddenly made DS go from something that gamers would have to something that like everybody needed to have. This was before you know everybody had a smartphone, and so you know people were playing this game. This was really like the start of the expanded audience, I would say.
1: Yeah, this is the game where you know all of a sudden your mom is asking you, "Hey, what's this Brain Age game I keep hearing about?"
0: Oh yeah, this literally happened to me. I had to buy her a DS because of this game.
1: <laughs> right, and uh, Nintendo strikes again.
0: Yep. Yep, it has turned uh, education and, you know, math activities and stuff into fun, compelling gameplay. Who would have known? I guess Nintendo did.
1: Yeah, and of course, this is the classic one where you had to turn the DS on its side to use it like a book.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Nintendo innovating yet again. Number 17, we have Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors, which is a story-heavy puzzle adventure full of mystery and intrigue and betrayal, you know, solving the Puzzles in each area of the game was fun. It was really learning about these characters and the stories surrounding them and the strange situation they were in, and then the reality-breaking metagame that kind of held it all together that really made it work. You know, it's certainly not the kind of game that's for everybody, but uh, it is a really cool and compelling game that I think anyone who considers himself to be a gamer would want to check out.
1: Yeah, and of course, this game went on to uh, inspire a few other games in the series.
0: Uh, yes, it did. This was the predecessor to Virtue's Last Reward and Zero Time Dilemma.
1: Wow, it's humble beginnings on the Nintendo DS.
0: Moving along to number 16, we have Hotel Dusk, Room 215.
1: Hotel Dusk is a point-and-click adventure game that you know was really compelling, almost like a graphic novel on the Nintendo DS.
0: Yeah, this was another one where he actually held the system sideways, kind of like a book.
1: That's right. You're basically exploring a hotel on the outskirts of Los Angeles in uh, 1979 of all years. The game kind of sets itself apart from its style. It has, you know all sort of hand-drawn, moving images.
0: Oh, yeah, kind of like that old music video. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it does look a little like Take On Me. Yeah, that's the one. And, uh, you know, you go around to different rooms asking questions. You're basically trying to figure out this mystery about somebody who is basically creating art under uh, a different surname. I think what sets it apart was just the setting, the story. You don't really get a lot of games that are set in the 70s. (laughs) And you also don't get a lot of games where you hold the system sideways and kind of read it like a book.
0: Yeah, and the aesthetic really made it stand out. Plus, it was a compelling mystery. It was something that you just wanted to, you know, keep playing and see how it all unfolded.
1: Yeah, and I actually enjoyed the soundtrack in this one too, although it's a little elevator music-y.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't remember it myself, but I do remember that it was indeed a good game.
1: Number 15, Knots.
0: Yes, this was the game that let you do anything. You think it. You write it, you do it. The idea was basically, you know, you are able to create any noun by just writing it and then use that to solve puzzles. That's basically one of the greatest (laughs) gameplay hooks ever conceived. And the thing is that it actually, you know, like 90% of the time actually worked. I mean, it didn't necessarily work the way you expected it, but the fact that you could do that was really, really cool. And, you know, sure, they went on and created some sequels that refined the formula and improved it a little bit, but nothing really compares to the innovation of this basic concept of scribble knots. And for that reason alone, I think it ranks as one of the best games on the Nintendo DS.
1: Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself, really.
0: All right, coming in at number 14, we have Rhythm Heaven.
1: Yeah, Rhythm Heaven, you know, was a game that really used the stylus in a, a lot of interesting ways. Rhythm Heaven was our first exposure to the Rhythm Heaven world. Of course, there was one on the Game Boy Advance before this. It only came out in Japan. But the DS kind of gave it life beyond just button presses. You were able to, you know, poke the screen, swipe the screen. You were able to uh, lift up the stylus for certain actions, uh, which was a really interesting mechanic. So basically, like... Your character, when you want him to be quiet, you touch the screen. When you lift up the stylus, he screams. <laughs> <laughs> and somehow Nintendo made, you know, 20-something mini games based on rhythm that all were very compelling using this mechanic.
0: Yeah, it all add up to one of the most innovative and interesting rhythm games out there, that's for sure. Next up, at number 13, we have Cooking Mama. <laughs> this was a game that turned cooking into a fast Taste, action packed video game activity. You are chopping and grating and stirring and kneading, all done with different motions on the touch screen. And it was all energetic and very fun and often very, very challenging too, especially in this original first Cooking Mama. And you know, who doesn't love food? So you know, it was always fun to just be able to play these quick hit mini games. And then see them turned into culinary masterpieces that would, you know, spring to life on your DS screen. You know, before I played this game, I never imagined I would be like, oh, a cooking game. That sounds fun. (laughs) But they actually did manage to turn into a compelling gameplay experience. And it was just a blast. And it really, really worked. Yeah,
1: that game has no business being fun, but it really is.
0: Yeah. And to me, none of them ever surpassed the DS original. Yeah, fair. Next, coming in at number 12, we have Trauma Center, Under the Knife. And again, in the same way as Cooking Mama, this was another game where the developers took an activity I never would have imagined (laughs) as being good for gameplay, but somehow it is through the magic of the Nintendo DS. But, you know, this time you're not cooking, you're suturing wounds and removing foreign bodies and setting bones and applying gauze. And again, it is just super fun. Also, you know, very, very challenging and requires you to have like magic lightning quick hands to be able to do what the game wants you to do. But man, it is a thrill. The thing I always say about this game is it proved that saving lives in a video game could be just as fun as beating up bad guys. It's
1: true. It's almost like if Operation was a video game, but uh, it definitely was deeper than that. And yeah, I really enjoyed this one.
0: Yeah, it was excellent. It's too bad that franchise is kind of gone because it certainly started off with a bang.
1: Yeah. Next up, number 11, Tetris DS.
0: Yeah, there have been a lot of Tetris games over the years, but I think it is probably not a stretch to say this is the best Tetris game ever. That's thanks in large part to all of the modes and all of the cool, overflowing Nintendo goodness.
1: Yeah, you know, you'd think that Another version of Tetris wouldn't really set itself apart from many others. Right. But this one really did. And I think a lot of it had to do with the Nintendo aesthetic mm-hmm, and being able to leverage some of the characters that they own and all the IP. But not only that, the NES IP in general. But on top of that, this was also one of the first Nintendo Wi Fi titles. Right. And that really opened the door to competition and being able to play this against anyone, anywhere.
0: Yep, absolutely. It was a uh, excellent, probably the most excellent version of Tetris out there. Number 10, we have Contra 4. Finally, after so many years, Contra was back. And it was just full of all of the non-stop, adrenaline-pumping, run-and-gun co-op action that fans could possibly ask for, now spanning two screens. And this game basically had it all. Aliens, huge robots, deadly waterfalls... Vehicle stages, loads of power-ups, spread guns, and explosions, explosions, explosions. <laughs> you know, the game was hard as heck, but it was still totally worth playing. Plus, it included the original Contra, which was the last time we got that game on any system until the recent Contra collection. But yeah, this is an absolute DS must-have.
1: Yeah, anytime you can make a Contra entry and it stands up to the others, you have done well and. This one proves that.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. At number nine, we have Professor Layton and the Unwound Future. Basically, all of the Professor Layton games are pretty fantastic. They deliver an excellent mix of puzzles, exploration, humor, and a story full of mystery. And, of course, Professor Layton and his true gentleman behavior definitely sets him apart from other video game protagonists. So, you know, any of the games in this series could be on this list, but it's the third one, Professor Layton and the Unwound Future, that ultimately made the cut here due to the emotional twist at the end. I mean, all the Layton games aim to have sort of a surprise twist but this one kind of had a twist and then another twist and just like this emotional reveal of what's going on with Layton was just the icing on the cake. So it was good as the other Layton games are. This one, you know, is just absolutely astonishing.
1: Yeah, the Layton series, we probably could have put more on here, but this one took the
0: cake. Absolutely agreed. Took the cake and took the icing on it for sure. (laughs) All right, moving on to number eight, we have Animal Crossing Wild World.
1: Now Animal Crossing had already existed at this point, but Animal Crossing Wild World really became the quintessential Animal Crossing if you were into playing with other people. The idea of being able to visit other people's towns, the idea of being able to like mess around with other people's stuff, going at the same time and like, you know, chopping down trees together or like decorating a village together. Being able to do some of these interactions really was cool, and the Nintendo DS allowed itself, you know, for the first time in Nintendo's history, the ability to really have that connectivity and being able to do that in real time.
0: Yeah, plus some of the touchscreen functionality really let you show off your creativity with the designs in the game. So yeah, it all just added up to a really excellent entry in the series.
1: Yeah, and the uh, touchscreen really did help to a key aspect of Animal Crossing, which is letter writing and inventory management, which did help a lot in that department.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Next is number seven, Advance Wars Dual Strike. While Fire Emblem has definitely got the lion's share of praise over the last decade. There was this other franchise that Intelligent Systems was known for by the name of Advance Wars. Yes, indeed. Essentially, it's the same exact engine as Fire Emblem, really the same mechanics. But Advance Wars is kind of this tongue-in-cheek military simulator. Imagine Fire Emblem with contemporary military themes. Your units don't really matter. They don't have names, and they aren't specific heroes. But you still are endeared to the army itself because that is run by someone who is a cool hero. And, you know, it had this really fun banter between the characters. The level designs were always top notch. And, you know, it's really a shame that this franchise isn't around more.
0: Yeah, you are. Very correct about that. It would be great to see Advance Wars make a comeback. But for now, we'll just have to bask in the limelight that was Advance Wars Dual Strike.
1: And of course, to me, this is the definitive version. The the Game Boy version was good. This one doubles down on all of that. And the one that came out after this, uh, Days of Ruin, was not so good.
0: (laughs) All right. Good to keep in mind. Next, at number six, we have Ghost Trick, Phantom Detective. Which is a mystery adventure game unlike any other. It occurs to me there are a lot of good mystery adventure games on Nintendo DS, but you know, in this game, well, you're dead. (laughs) You are the ghost. And even though you are not coming back to life anytime soon, you can help others avoid a similar fate by rewinding time and manipulating objects to alter events and help save these other people from death. And it's all done with a very humorous, lighthearted style. The animation is some of the best on any system ever, let alone just Nintendo DS. And there's also a lot of twists and turns and great characters to encounter that all add up to one of the most captivating can't-miss games on the system.
1: It really is unique and if you haven't played it, you gotta play it.
0: Yep, for sure. Next, number five, Mario Kart DS.
1: Now this is an obvious one to me, but this entry in particular of Mario Kart was great, almost for the Wi-Fi alone. This game really allowed, you know, that multiplayer aspect where, you know, you could play eight people in the same room. You could play a Mario Kart game. On your own screen, in a competing race, this really just brought the Mario Kart experience to a whole new level. It also introduced the flying for the first time, which is still a mainstay in the series today.
0: Yeah, and of course, you know, it's got all that Mario Kart goodness that you'd expect, you know. The great assortment of tracks, the great assortment of racers, all the great power-ups to smack your opponents around with. (laughs) But yeah, it was here and available and playable online on Nintendo DS.
1: Number four, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney.
0: Yes, alongside Cooking Mama and Trauma Center, this was like the Third game in the trio that taught me that DS games could pretty much be about anything and still be really, really amazing. And you know, by now I've been seeing the praises of Ace Attorney for more than a decade, (laughs) but when the franchise first hit North America all these years ago, you know, who knew? You know, this is another one with great characters and great mysteries, but this also had the very satisfying play mechanic of going up against lying witnesses or evil lawyers and just throwing the evidence in their face with a loud objection. <laughs> you know, it's over-the-top ridiculous, it's nothing like real law, but that's what makes it so much fun. And again, this is one where any game in the series probably could have made the list, but I think we'll go with the first game, just for its groundbreaking originality and strong story about friendship, rivalry, and redemption. I object! Overruled!
1: <laughs> Number three, Castlevania, Dawn of Sorrow.
0: Yes, the Castlevania games on Game Boy Advance and DS were all pretty amazing, but one of the best of the best was certainly Dawn of Sorrow. This was a direct follow-up to Aria of Sorrow, once again putting you in control of Soma Cruz, who is the reincarnation of Dracula, who is somehow still a good guy, but could still explore the nonlinear castle and collect the souls of hundreds of monsters and use them for a wide variety of powers. And so it added that hook to the traditional nonlinear exploration, a vast selection of weapons and items, and the stylish horror that Castlevania is known for. You add that all together, and you got an absolute must-play side-scrolling action-adventure game.
1: Yeah, I love this game, but drawing those seals on the bosses, well, I could have done without that.
0: (laughs) That was definitely a bit of a challenge. You're not wrong about that. (laughs) But I'll take it. And then at number two, we have New Super Mario Brothers. This was, after years and years, a brand new 2D Mario platformer after, you know, not having had one since, you know, I'm not sure, like Super Mario Land 2, (laughs) six golden coins or something. At any rate, it had been a long time. Mario had been all 3D with Mario 64 and Mario Sunshine. But yes, Mario was finally back doing his 2D thing all over again with all new levels and some all new gameplay elements like the Mega Mushroom and the Micro Mushroom. And basically, it was like Mario never lost a step. This game was just way too much fun, you know. These days, new Super Mario Brothers games are pretty common, but back when this one was just released, it was a revelation to be able to have, you know, classic 2D Mario alongside modern 3D Mario gameplay and have those stand side to side and both be amazing games. And, you know, I'm so glad Nintendo took that risk and decided it was worth doing because it really paid off.
1: Yeah, and while it might not be hand-drawn the way the uh, old Mario games were, it still allowed us to experience a new two-dimensional Mario and I wouldn't have it any other
0: way. Yeah, it was done very, very well. And then that brings us to number one on our list, which is Elite Beat Agents. (gasps) What? You know, out of all of the hidden gems that we touted at Nintendo Power, I don't think there are any that we wanted to champion more than Elite Beat Agents. You know, the fact that we couldn't turn it into like a huge success is perhaps my greatest uh, regret (laughs) or failing during our time there. Uh, You know, it seems like You know, nobody really played that game, despite, you know, how we were like shouting from the rooftops. And that is a damn shame because it is a rhythm game overflowing with personality. It had fantastic play mechanics and an excellent selection of music, you know, Mm -hmm. rhythmically tapping and tracing was just super fun. The stories that played out during each song were hilarious. (laughs) And there was just this great balance of retro and contemporary tunes. I mean, Nintendo slapping the "Touch Generations" label on the box probably didn't do it any favors. So, yeah, you know, we can't take all the blame, but regardless, this was an awesome game, and I would recommend it pretty much to anyone.
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the storylines; those were really, really compelling. I mean, some were funny, some were like even emotional. Like i remember yeah, i remember replay, sure. one of them getting a little teary like i know that sounds
0: yeah the damn christmas that one I know what you're talking that about. sounds
1: insane but i i'm telling you between the music and what was going on i was like yep, this yep. is like intense like what is happening to me
0: <laughs> i mean it's almost over the top the way that you know the the father getting you know killed off on christmas but you're right the way it came together with the music and the storytelling it was just all very very gripping and you no, almost literally brought a tear to my eye. You're not wrong.
1: Yeah, and the uh, you know the challenge was there. It was definitely a hard game, especially to get uh, perfect on all the levels. But yeah, you know this was really the beginning of the stylus-based rhythm genre, and it was a classic.
0: Yeah, definitely a classic, and a game that really should not be missed by anyone. So there you go, our top twenty-five Nintendo DS games to celebrate. 15 years since the system's launch. Obviously, we weren't able to include every great game on here, but hopefully this is a good representation of all of the excellent titles that were released over the system's lifespan.
1: Yeah, and I'm especially impressed with the breadth of new titles on here, the ones that you, like... I know, I know. like, just never hear about.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are so many games that were, you know... One and done or the first of a franchise or something like that, along with, you know, classic series as well. And how weird is it that Zelda didn't make our top 25? Crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can write us hate mail about that, but we stand by our decisions.
0: <laughs> hmm. Anyway, with that said, that brings an end to this week's big topic. And that means it's time for us to wrap up this episode of the podcast. But before we go, we do have time for one more thing, and that is a dramatic reading. This time, it is the eShop description of the Nintendo Switch game, Summer Sweetheart. Tells that the hero spends a wonderful year with ten girls. Summer Sweetheart is a game of lovely Juliet. The main plot is played by real people. Voice actor part is assumed by the famous CV, Asami Imai, and Naomi Wakabayashi. In the game, the player, in the first view, encounters with multiple heroines. This is a brand new love story. The main line has multiple story choices and endings. In addition, there are some personal stories about other branch line girls. We can arrange our schedule in the game, such as inviting the heroine to have a date, encountering other girls on the street, work or study. You can also customize the appearance of a girl, unlock the portrait photos, event videos, and the personal information of the girls. More game contents wait for you to find out. The main girl in the story. Natsumi Miyamizu. height. 163 centimeters. Date of birth, September 20th. Weight, 42 kilograms. BWH, 89, 58, 89. (laughs) Introduction, a pride young girl. I graduated from art department. A cartoonist, enthusiastic, confident, beautiful, and kind. My appearance may seem to be strong, But I fear darkness and solitude. Miyu Hayashi. Height, 165 centimeters. Date of birth, on April 26th. Weight, 49 kilograms. BWH, 80, 67, 92. Introduction, a pure and lovely cat girl. (laughs) When I was little, my mother raised me like a cat. Mm. I have little contact with the outside world. I like to play the role of a cat, and my personality is lovely and gentle.
1: Well, you don't hear that every day.
0: No. No, you definitely don't.
1: I think I'm going to download this episode of Power Pros and take that audio out. (laughs) Repeat you saying that I like to play the role of a cat.
0: (laughs) You would like that, wouldn't you? Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, well, I can't wait for that. And my
1: personality is lovely and gentle.
0: <laughs> Obviously, this is another one where I have no idea what the gameplay is like. You know, reading the description, it makes me feel a little bit creepy.
1: Yeah, if I look at the screenshots on the eShop, it makes me feel a little creepy.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I will definitely keep that in mind moving forward. Yeah, probably not going to add this one to my collection.
1: There's actually, like, live-action video or, and pictures of Asian actresses, so...
0: Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to say when they say that uh, the main plot is played by real people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yes, indeed. Anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at Power Pros Pod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoff, on Twitter at Chris the Hoff. And you can find Pete at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, it would be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Mashad. I
1: like to play the role of a cat.
0: And my personal physician, Dr. Derek Stiles. I'm a doctor. We will see you next time.